that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with, is that really in the Bible? Did you know that only about 20% of the world's population even remotely identifies themselves as Christian? Now, America is very fast becoming a post-Christian nation. Christianity just does not have the impact that it once had upon America. And as you look at the world's population and you look at Eastern religion and Muslims and China and Africa and the different countries and you realize the influence of other religions, that Christianity is simply losing its impact upon America. I think it would be interesting to do a survey in America and ask, do you identify yourself as a Christian? And I think you would be shocked of how many people would answer that as, no, I do not identify myself as a Christian. Our culture is changing. Just recently on Facebook, I saw something that said this. It said, you cannot raise your children the way your parents raised you because your parents raised you in a world that no longer exists. Shocking statement and so true. Your parents raised you in a world that no longer exists. I heard recently that 100 churches are closing each week in America. You know, I mean, just do your own experiment. Go by a church this Sunday around 12 noon when it's letting out and take a look at who, who is walking outside the door. You will see a lot of elderly people and very few younger people. Now, I'm not saying there's no young people, but I'm just saying that generation of elderly people are going to die off. And I don't think it's a lot much there to replace it with. Recently, someone made a comment on one of my videos. It says, it's about time when I quoted this about 100 churches are closing each week. He said, it's about time this happened. These fairy tales are coming to an end. There is incredible contempt and hostility toward religion today. Believe me, I may know that better than you know that because of the outreach that I do. But what I'm smack up against constantly is this contempt that people have towards anything that resembles religion or godliness or anything, just absolute contempt. Now, if I look at what has happened to religion in just my time on this earth, you know, I'm 57 years old and when I think back to maybe the Bible Belt of America, in America, I think about the Pentecostal movement, and I'm not saying all these things were good, but I think of some of the evangelism, like maybe like Billy Graham, dominating the airways, dominating TV and radio, that influence is just no longer there in America. And so we come back to this statement that only about 20% of the world's population even remotely identifies themselves as Christian. Now, my question today is this, 
what about the other 80% who do not identify themselves as Christian? What about them? What happens to them? What happens to the 80% who do not identify themselves as Christian? Now, mainstream Christianity has an answer, and the answer is disturbing. It's in a parable of all places, which is like a riddle. You, you, you never take a parable to establish doctrine. I don't know why people do this. But in Luke 16 and verse 23, here's the answer that mainstream Christianity has for the 80% who do not claim to be Christian in America. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented, tormented excuse me, in this flame. And so again, uh, mainstream Christianity takes a parable of Jesus and turns God into a vengeful God that is going to destroy 80% of humanity in a lake of fire. Now, here's the issue. This concept does not jive with the Bible or the Word of God. Now, why would I say that? Well, 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning, him, concerning His promise, as some men would count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if you want to know what God's will is, it is that all should come to repentance. Now, we understand that man has a free will, and because of that, some will perish. Some will have to be destroyed in a lake of fire. But my question is, what is God's will concerning the salvation of mankind? Is God's will that the 80% who do not even identify themselves as Christian are going to be destroyed? That's the question. What did, what did Peter understand about this issue? That is the saving of the human race. What did Paul understand about this issue? What did the early New Testament church understand about the saving of the human race? It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What did the New Testament church understand about this that today's churches do not? You know, a lot of religious people, for some reason, don't know and don't care how God will set his hand to save the world. And I, I just read this. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. To me, that's good news. That's some of the best news you could ever hear. I mean, I, don't you like that? You know, so, but so why do so many religious people not like the idea of a merciful God that will set his hand to save the majority of humanity? I've met religious people that it's like, I want the sinner to get what's coming to him. You know, and I, I don't understand it. You know, Daniel in that, his famous prayer, he, he says, we have sinned. You know, he did not exclude himself. He did not say, you know, we, all those rotten sinners over there, they, they have sinned. No, <clears throat> Dave, uh, Daniel included himself. And he says, we have sinned as a nation. And he includes himself. Romans 5 and verse 6 says this, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. You know, if you're not a sinner, Christ didn't die for you. And Christ having died for you, what is his plan 
for saving the majority of mankind. Is it really true that 80% of the world's population is going to be destroyed? You know, and again, I've met way too many religious people that fit into this category where they say, look, I want them to die for their sins because I'm not like that. And Jesus spoke about this group of people. He, he said in Luke 18 and verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. You know, I'm, I'm not like that, and I want all those dirty, rotten sinners to get what's coming to them. I want them to burn in a lake of fire forever. And, you know, I guess the mentality is this. <clears throat> the only way I can understand it is this. Salvation has been watered down so much. It has been made so easy that all it consists of is just, yeah, raise your hand, all eyes closed, all heads bowed. Now, if you invite Jesus into your heart, raise your right hand. Yeah, thank you, brother. Bless you, brother. You're saved. You're saved. It has become so easy that if people don't accept this, I guess the view is, well, they should burn in hell for all eternity if they can't just raise their hand and invite Jesus into their heart. Now, I'm saying it's a lot more to salvation than that. Any thinking person should know there's a little bit more to it. And it never dawns on people that this watered-down salvation is what turns so many people off from a relationship with God. No, it's a little bit more to it than just raising your hand and inviting Jesus into your heart. Jesus talked about repentance. He talks about being baptized, receiving the Spirit of God, and turning from one's sins and living a, a, a different kind of life, of becoming a new creature in Christ. So there's a little bit more to it than the watered-down salvation that you're hearing about. You know, the largemouth bass lays millions of eggs, and many of her eggs will be eaten by the male that fertilized them. Most of her eggs will be eaten by brim and other small fish. Of those who do hatch, most of those tiny fish will be eaten by minnows and brim. As they mature to minnow size, most of those will be eaten by adult bass. Only a tiny fraction of the eggs originally laid will become mature bass. She has to lay millions of eggs in order to get a few mature fish. Question, is this how God works? Is this your idea of God? That in order to bring sons into his kingdom, God has to put billions of us on this earth and allow for wastage. 80% of human waste. Is this how God works? Now, what does that say about God? Well, it says a lot about God. Is your God a God that would waste billions of real people to achieve his objective of a few sons in his kingdom. And what makes matters worse is all those billions of people who were not saved, according to mainstream, are going to be tormented in a lake of fire forever. Yeah, that's what makes matters worse. You know, here it is. I mean, think about this. We human beings, we suffer. We hope. We love. We create. And for what? For what? Are you just another vain experiment? 
where God is desperately trying to achieve his objective of a few, of a few sons in his kingdom, are you no more value than a fish egg? 1 Timothy 3, 2 and verse 3 says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. God wastes nothing. Have you ever known of anybody whose life was a total waste? Or so it seemed. In other words, it was like maybe it was a family member, a loved one, someone you knew. Maybe they died an untimely death. And there, yes, there were sins, there were mistakes, there were bad choices. And the guy just, or the, or the girl, you know, it's just like their whole life was a waste. It was a waste. I'm telling you, God doesn't waste anything. God doesn't waste anything. God wastes nothing. And that is the good news that I'm trying to share with you if your mind will receive it, if you're big enough to receive it and understand what I'm trying to tell you. Now, I'm going to offer you a book at the end of this program that will explain everything that I'm, I'm talking about here today in a lot better detail than I can explain it right now. I only got 30 minutes to explain it or less than that. But what I'm saying is, I'm trying to tell you that God doesn't waste anything. You know, there came a day when Jesus fed 5,000 people. You know, they came to him and said, look, look, you know, have the people sit down. We're going to feed all these people. It's 5,000 people. And he said, well, look, we have but five loaves and two fishes here. How are we going to feed all these people? And by a divine miracle, God was able to feed, Jesus was able to feed 5,000 people. But afterwards, <clears throat> excuse me, afterwards, Jesus told his disciples, he said, now I want you to go out there and gather up all the baskets of, of fragments left. And there were 12 baskets of fragments left over. I've always been touched by that story because it sort of reveals that God doesn't waste anything. How will God save all those wasted eggs as the example of the largemouth bass that I talked about? People who have died in unbelief. Yes, people who have died in their sins. Yes, people that were not saved. How will God save those people? People whose life seemed to be a total waste, a total waste, just thrown away. You ever met people like that? They just throw their life away, their entire life, and they end up getting killed in an automobile accident or something like that, or something, a drug overdose or something like that, you know. And, and it just seemed like by all intent and purposes that their whole life was a waste. They just threw it. They de deliberately threw it away. Well, look at Romans 11 and verse 32. It says, For God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. <clears throat> there are people, listen closely, there are people who are shut up in unbelief. Is it their fault? Now, you know these people, don't you? You know these people that they don't really care about religion. You've tried to talk to them about salvation. You've tried to talk to them about God, and they really don't care. What they're good at is totally screwing up their lives and making a complete waste of their energy, and their whole life just seems to be a total waste. You know people like that. There are people who are shut up in unbelief. Now, is it their fault is the question. God is the one who has shut them up. Now, let's, let's go back and look at it again. Romans 11 and verse 32. 
For God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. So we're asking, okay, if God has shut these people up in unbelief, is it their fault? What can they do about it? No, it's not their fault. It's not their fault at all. Now the question is this, why? If God's objective is to save the world now, why would he shut people up in unbelief? Can you answer that question? Now, let me repeat it. If God's objective is to save the world now, why would he shut people up in unbelief? Doesn't make any sense, does it? No, it doesn't. Well, let's, let's, let's look at the answer as to why God does this. Hebrews 10 and verse 26 says this, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour, devour the adversary. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much more sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. You see, what this scripture is telling us is this. Willful, willful sin with the knowledge of the truth is simply the end. But if God concludes that people sin ignorantly, in unbelief or in weakness, then there is room for mercy. So it's safer not to show them truth for the time being. You see, it's safer. And so God concludes people in unbelief because it's safer for them right now. You understand? Romans 11 and verse 33 says this, all that we've just read earlier in Romans 11 and verse 32, that God has concluded many people in unbelief. And then it says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Now, I remember the first time I, this, this verse made sense to me. I was driving down the road and I was reading this. It was the Bible on cassette tape. And these scriptures were read to me. And, I, and all of a sudden, everything clicked. It was like, you mean to tell me that God can shut people up in unbelief and have mercy on them at a later time? That, that because they are shut up in unbelief, they're really not judged at this time because they're, 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 they're simply in unbelief. And that God can do this, deliberately shut people in unbelief, so that he can have mercy on them at a later time. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to realize that God wastes nothing. It's not, you know, like the, the, the example that I gave you of the largemouth bass. God is not wasting all those eggs just to get a few people into his kingdom. God's not wasting 80% of the human race just to get a few of us into his kingdom. God wastes nothing. Only about 20% of the world's population even remotely identifies themselves as Christian. We have to deal with this dilemma. And it's time you understood what the Bible teaches. Now, I want to offer you something here. It's entitled, <clears throat> If God So Loved the World, 
Why are so many people going to hell? Now that's a catchy title to a book, to, the, to a book. But the truth of the matter is, they're not going to hell. God has a plan of salvation for humanity. Listen to this intro. Towards the end of a long airplane flight, the flight attendant sat down next to me and my wife and began chatting. When she found out that I was a church minister, a troubled look came across her face. Her father had just died. He hadn't been a Christian, nor had he led a particularly good life. After the funeral, she had talked to the, her priest, and he said that her father was not saved and was burning in hell. With tears in her eyes, she asked me, Do you think my dad is burning in hell? Let me tell you something. You need this book. If you have ever been concerned about the loss of a loved one, you know, now maybe you just sort of passed it off. You know, maybe you just sort of, you know, I heard of a story one time of a, a mother who had an alcoholic son. And everybody in the community knew he was an alcoholic. And he was on a construction site and, and hit his head, knocked himself out, and laid out there all night. No one found him until the next morning, froze to death. He died. And later, she claimed she saw a vision of her son in heaven. And I guess was able to live with herself, able to live with her consciousness, because she claimed she saw a vision of her son in heaven. What I'm saying is, there is an absolute truth that is found in your Bible. Much of the information that we have been taught is... is, is is a lie about your Bible. For example, what we've been taught about hell is wrong. You got to understand this. What we've been taught, we've been taught wrongly about who is in charge. We've been left ignorant of God's real plan of salvation. And this book will teach you God's real plan of salvation. That God is able to conclude people. He's big enough. And he can do it if he wants to. He can conclude people in unbelief so that he can have mercy on them at a later time. And it's a beautiful picture. That book will give you so much encouragement. And you'll have a new respect for God. Instead of 80% burning in hell for all eternity, you will have a new profound respect for God. You will have a love for God that maybe you haven't experienced in a very long time. You see, I believe that every sinner who God has shut up in unbelief will get his day of salvation in a future resurrection. I'm David Freeman, and that is exactly what's in your Bible. Why have countless millions died without ever having had an opportunity to understand the purpose of life and to be saved? Shocking as it may sound, God does not intend for everyone to understand His truth at this time. If He wanted everyone to understand at this time, everyone would understand. Untold millions have died without ever having had an opportunity for salvation. God's seventh and final holy day reveals when and how they will have their day of salvation. Order your free magazine entitled, The Last Great Day. Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 
27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Traditional Christian teachings about hell would consign at least 80% or more of humanity straight to an eternal and never-ending torment in an ever-burning hell when they die. Is this really the action of a just and merciful God? Order your free copy of If God So Loved the World, Why Are So Many People Going to Hell? If you have ever been concerned about the spiritual condition of a lost loved one, then you need to read this book. You will come to understand that God truly is a merciful, compassionate God that will give everyone a chance for salvation according to His timing. Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, check us out on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.com. If you would like a free DVD recording of this program that you can share with friends and loved ones, write to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. And be sure to mention the title of this program. This program has been paid for by the tithes and offerings of the Church of God Rocky Mount and friends of this ministry. If you have been challenged by listening to this program, then consider that a great blessing. You can visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. It is the support of people like you that make this ministry possible. If you have been blessed by this understanding given to you today, then consider making a donation by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia. 24151. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.